in every significant relationship, one person does something that really annoys the other person. Okay, you can look to the person you came with and say amen to that if you want to, right? In every significant relationship, one person does something that really annoys the other person. And my wife, Emily, she's actually sick this morning. She's not here. But I want to tell you all about something that's really annoying in our relationship. And I want to tell you about it because it comes up whenever we go on vacation. We recently got back from vacation, and it happens pretty much every single time. And on vacation, I'm always the designated photographer. And so I love taking pictures. It's kind of my artistic outlet. So on my phone, I take a lot of pictures. On my, my digital SLR, taking a lot of pictures. I'm the person who like lags back when the group is going forward because I don't want people in my nature photos. So I let them go on ahead. Sometimes I wake up early so I can get a good picture of the sunrise. Maybe I'll stay out a little bit later to get the sunset. You know, if we're in a crowd and we want a picture like in a monument or something, I always look for the best picture taker, you know, somebody who's young or somebody who has like a really nice camera. And I'm like, okay, hey, will you take our picture? I won't let just anybody take, you know, a picture of us. And then a lot of times I'll take selfies, even when she's not feeling photogenic. And, you know, none of that stuff actually annoys her. What annoys her even comes after I spend, you know, a couple hours going through all of my photos, the thousands of photos and choosing the best ones and then adjusting the lighting, moving up the contrast, you know, lights and darks and filters and all that good stuff. And what really gets to her is when after all of that, I spend about 20 minutes to an hour trying to craft the perfect caption for the photo as I share it on social media. Now... I've tried to explain to her why this is important, but, you know, uh, every photo, and not every photo, but a lot of photos need a good caption. And when, you, when you're writing a caption, you have to think about who is my audience, who is this for, and what do I want to convey? Do I want to be snarky? Do I want to be funny? Do I want to be inspirational? Is this a serious photo? Is this trying to evoke beauty? So I have to think about all of these things, and it takes a lot of time before I finally press post. And by that point, she is just so annoyed and done with it all. And so I just want to show you some examples of pictures and great captions that I've come up with. So I have one picture right here. Oh, this is uh, on my wedding day, actually, if you couldn't guess. Uh, <laughs> so after our honeymoon, you know, we were like, okay, we're not posting anything while we're on our honeymoon. After we got back, it's like, okay, let's share some pictures and so I picked out some of the best pictures that our photographer took. And then, oh wait, go back, go back. It took me a long time to come up with a caption for this one. But it was this. The honeymoon might be over, but life with Emily Anderson is just beginning. That's pretty good, right? That's pretty good. So then I got the next one. So that was pretty good, you know. She, she didn't mind that one too much. Then this one, I took this this summer um, down in Savannah. And as you can imagine, it took a long time uh, to make sure there was like no cars on this road or people taking photos because there was just like a hundred people around me taking photos of this same thing. We tried to get some of my dog Henry in the middle there. That didn't work out very well. That was kind of complicated. But finally, I got this photo and it took me a while to come up with this caption. But I finally mustered it up, felt good about it and posted it on Instagram and it was this. Summer vacation. 
Sometimes you just have to be descriptive, right? You just have to be descriptive about what it is. So that was summer vacation. And then I had this one, which was more recently. Um, oh, that's, uh, that's my dog, Henry, if y'all remember him when I brought him on stage when he was a puppy a long time ago. Um, he's about to turn one. And so this one, we were up in the mountains in Clayton, Georgia. There's a great store called Wonder North Georgia, an outdoor store that lets you bring animals in. And uh, it, it, I took this photo, and it took me a long time to come up with the caption for this one, too. Rainy day in the mountains. That's why, we, yeah, she didn't like it either, right? She didn't think it was any good either. But, you know, he couldn't be outside, so we were inside hanging out. And you know what? All of these captions and the energy and the time I put into them really annoy her. And if she was here today, she could confirm that that is very much the case. And slowly, over time, I've begun to realize why it is so annoying to her. And it's so annoying to her because when we're somewhere beautiful, maybe even somewhere exotic, somewhere special and cool together, I'm wasting all of this time trying to craft the perfect caption so that I can get other people's approval. Right? I mean, that's what a like is on, on Facebook. It's a thumbs up. It's a sign of approval. That's what a heart is on Instagram. It's a little heart saying, hey, I like it. I'm wasting all of this time and energy trying to get the approval of other people. And slowly over time, with her help and other people's help, I've realized that this isn't just limited to pictures and captions and social media, that I actually waste a lot of time and energy in other areas of my life, trying to get other people's approval and applause. And so sometimes during the week when I'm preparing my sermons, I'm thinking, is anybody going to even like this? Or are people just going to say, you know what, I'm going elsewhere. Then when a big decision comes up, a lot of times I waste time and energy on the decision because I think, well, if I say, if I say no, then we're not going to move forward with the changes we need to make. And uh, people are, are going to be happy or upset with me. And if I say yes, well, then other people are going to be happy and upset with me. And, and I don't know what I should do. And I waste a lot of time and energy trying to think about it. I waste a lot of time and energy trying to manage other people's feelings about me. Because I want their approval. I want their acceptance. I want their applause. And I'm telling you all of this this morning. I'm confessing this to you because this is one of the things I want to quit this new year. And my guess is that there are some other people who want to quit that here as well. I mean, after all, maybe this is why you work really long hours. Maybe this is why you spend a lot of time away from your family and spending a lot of time trying to, to make all of your work projects perfect because you want your boss's approval or you want that sign of approval. You want a raise so that you can feel good about yourself. Students, maybe this is why you have so much stress and anxiety in school because you're always worried about your parents' approval and your grades and what, what your teachers are going to think about you and what the colleges are going to think about you and you want their approval so all of this pressure comes on you. And then when you think about what you want to do in the future and your vocation, it's just so hard because there's so many people speaking into it and you want to make all of them happy. And parents, I, I just feel sorry for you if you're a parent in this day and age because social media put so much pressure on families now. Put so much pressure on families to make it look like your kids are always beautiful, 
to make your kids look like they're just the most brilliant in the world and, and to make your kids look like they're always well-behaved, right? It used to just be like grandparents who put that pressure on you. Now, it's the entire world. We feel this pressure to seek other people's approval, and it is tiring. It is exhausting, and it leads us to a lot of times hide what we truly feel, to hide our, our beliefs or, or what we're thinking. It leads us to, to wear masks and to, to push over boundaries that we've set for ourselves. It leads to a lot of dysfunctional behavior. And the crazy thing is, we don't just do this with other people. We also do this with God. We try to perform for God and, and please him and try to win his approval through our achievements. And so we say, hey, God, you know what? I'm going to read through the Bible this year so that you'll finally be happy with me. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you 10% of my income. I'm finally going to make that step of faith and tithe. And secretly in the back of our minds, we're hoping that if we do that, that, that he'll forgive us a little bit quicker when we ask him or he'll love us a little bit more. We think, you know what, this year I'm finally going to get engaged. I'm going to join a serve team so that maybe God will, will finally love me and, and show some kindness towards me. Throughout our lives in many different areas and many different ways, we're constantly seeking the approval and the applause of other people. And you know what's also crazy? is that Jesus experienced this same temptation. And at Christmas, we remember that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And so scripture tells us throughout his life, Jesus faced temptations just like the ones you and I face. But what we find is that ultimately Jesus passes through all of these temptations faithfully and he never sins. And so if we want to look at how we can defeat temptation, specifically the temptation to get our identity and to get approval and applause from other people, if we want to figure out how to pass through that faithfully, then we can look to some of Jesus' temptations with this to see how he did it, to see how we can do it as well. And while Jesus faced temptations throughout his entire life in many different directions, there's a story in the Gospels that occurs early on in Jesus's. Uh, public ministry, right, really before his public ministry starts, where he faces some specific temptations from the devil in the wilderness. And I want to look at these temptations and this scene specifically this morning. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open up Matthew chapter 3. If you have a phone, you can download the Bible app. It's a great app. Um, and also, if you don't have a Bible, we have free Bibles for you in the lobby. We'd love for you to grab one on the way out. Um, or grab one on the way in next week as our gift to you from Harvest Point because we want you to dive into God's word. We believe this gives us life. So here's what we find in Matthew chapter 3 in this account of Jesus' life. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me, And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John, that's John the Baptist, consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. 
And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him. And the angels came and attended him. Now, in this uh, account of Jesus' life, in this kind of scene we see, I love one of the ways that Matthew highlights Jesus' humanity when he says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, right? Okay, amen, Jesus was fully human. He was hungry. He was hungry. He was tired. He probably had very low energy. And it's in the midst of that situation that Satan, a.k.a. the devil, a.k.a. the tempter, comes to him and basically says to him, hey, I've heard some interesting things about you. Heard that you're the son of God. I've heard that you're all powerful. I've heard that you can do great things. He says, why don't you prove it to me? Prove it to me and, and then I'll give you my approval. And so Satan tempts him specifically in three ways. He says, if... You're the son of God. Tell these stones to become bread. Here he's saying, look, prove to me that you're worthy of the title son of God by doing something that's useful and something that's productive. After all, you're hungry. Well, why don't you meet your own hunger and why don't you impress me while you're at it? And Jesus, he doesn't fall for that. He says, man shall not live on bread alone. And so Satan tries again. He says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from the temple. After all, God's word says that the angels will catch you. They'll save you. He's saying, look, do something magnificent. Do something magnificent and then all of us will, will, then will, will, will really approve of you. Then we'll really believe that you're the son of God. Jesus says, no. No, he quotes Deuteronomy once again and says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so Satan tries again. He says, look, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all of the kingdoms of the world. He says, look, if you do what I want, then I'll give you this stamp of approval by giving you all of these things. And once again, Jesus, he says no. He says, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And after that third time, the devil knew that it wasn't going to work that day. That Jesus wasn't in the business of, uh, of getting other people's applause or their approval. And so he left him. 
And now maybe you've heard this story preached before, thinking about how to overcome temptations. And so you've probably seen and noticed that one of the ways that Jesus is able to be faithful to God in the midst of these trials and in the midst of these temptations is the fact that he was rooted in the word of God. He knew the scriptures thoroughly. And he didn't just know them in his head, he also had them written on his heart and he was able to apply them and recall them to the situations he was at hand. And I don't know about you, but that's a very challenging truth to me. It's a very challenging truth to all of us because a lot of us these days, we don't have much scripture memorized. These days, a lot of us really have an impoverished knowledge of the Bible. And so when Satan or any temptation comes our way, we don't exactly know what God would want us to do. We don't know the clear path that he has for us because we don't know God's word. And so in this new year, if you want to quit giving into temptation, one great way to start doing that is by getting into the word of God and by letting God's word get into you. But there's something else going on here. There's something else going on here that I think a lot of times we overlook. There's something else that enabled Jesus to pass through these temptations faithfully. There's something that enabled Jesus to live his entire life without having to win the approval and the applause of anybody else. And we see it here in this story. And it's this. Jesus knew he had God's approval. And so he didn't feel the need to seek the approval of anybody else. Jesus knew that he had God's approval, and so he didn't feel the need to seek to get approval or to prove himself to anybody else. And we see that Jesus didn't earn God's approval. He didn't do anything to achieve it. We actually see in this story that it comes to him at his baptism before he did any miracles before he was tempted and passed through them faithfully, before he was teaching anybody with great profound truths, it was at his baptism that God's approval was declared over him and it was proclaimed over him when God said this, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus knew what God thought about him. And so he didn't go around worrying about what other people thought of him. Jesus knew who God said he was, and so he didn't have to waste time and energy trying to pander to people, trying to cater to people, trying to win some kind of popularity contest. As one of my preacher friends, Talbot Davis, says, Jesus didn't live for approval. Jesus lived from approval. He didn't live for the approval of others. He lived from the approval of God and with his heavenly father's love propelling him forward. He lived out the unique mission that God gave him, the mission of living a sinless life, of teaching us about the kingdom of God, of dying on the cross for you and for me so that we can be reconciled to God, of rising again from the dead and then sending his disciples and his spirit out into the world to proclaim the good news of God. The good news that God speaks over to you every day. The good news that God is speaking over you this morning. The good news that God believes this about you. That you are his creation. 
you are loved. And Jesus Christ died so that you could have a living relationship with him. That's what God's speaking over you every moment and this morning. You are created in his image. You are loved. And no matter who you are or what you've done or how you feel about yourself or how other people in this world feel about you, God loved you so much that he sent Jesus into this world to live, die, and rise again so that you could have a living relationship with our heavenly Father. That's the good news. And when we really begin to internalize this good news, this good news that we have through Jesus Christ, when we believe and have faith in Jesus Christ, when we repent, when we turn from our sins and our old way of life and seek to turn towards Jesus and follow him, and then we take that next step of baptism, when we are baptized, God also speaks over us. He says, you are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. You are my son, you are my daughter, my beloved, and with you, I am well pleased. Once you really get this down in the core of you, it changes everything. And like I said at the beginning, I'm still working on this. I'm still a work in progress every single day. But you know what? Recently, I came across somebody who really seems to get it. And some of you might know who, who this is, and it's Trevor Lawrence the quarterback for the Clemson Tigers. Now, look, I don't care if you're a Clemson fan. Any Clemson fans here? (laughs) No commentary. I don't care if you're an Alabama fan. Any Alabama fans? I don't care if you're a Georgia fan. Tennessee fan. Well, or, or if you're just like me, and you know what? You just like eating hot wings, and you'll take any excuse to eat hot wings. Maybe, maybe you're like me. Woo! Um, it doesn't matter who you are. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence has something to teach us, because actually this, this interview has resurfaced with him that happened back in September before... He had, you know, the nation's stamp of approval with a trophy before any championship, before any of that, in a conversation on faith and on football and why football wasn't the most important thing for him. And so I want to invite you to, to listen to what he has to say. I mean, football's, football's important to me, obviously, but it's just, it's not my life. It's not... Uh... It's not like the biggest thing in my life, I would say, uh, my faith is. So that just comes from kind of knowing um, knowing who I am outside of that. So I just know no matter how big the situation is, it's not really going to define me. Just, just putting my identity in, you know, what, what Christ says, what, who th- he thinks I am and who I know that he says I am. So really, like I said, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what people think about me or how good they think I play or whatever, you know, it doesn't really matter. So that's definitely been a big thing for me, just uh, in my situation, just knowing that and having confidence in that. Amen. 
So now look, I, I don't think that his team won because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Or, because there's a lot of quarterbacks and other people who have faith in Christ. I don't think that's necessarily why they won. But I do think that he's able to play football with a lot less pressure and with a lot less anxiety than many other people because he knows that ultimately his identity isn't found in whether he wins or loses. His identity isn't found in the applause of, of the crowds and of the stands. His identity isn't in any of that. And so he is now more free to use the unique gifts and talents that God has given him to make a difference in this world and a difference for this kingdom. And that is what God wants for you and for me. He wants each of us to know that we are loved, that we have his stamp of approval, that we are his beloved child so that we're set free from all of the stuff that holds us back, all of the stuff that wastes our time and wastes our energy in this world. And when you're rooted in Scripture, when you wake up every day and you're rooted in Scripture and you're returning to your identity in Christ over and over again, when temptation, when Satan, when other people in this world come your way and they say, you're a failure. You're a nobody. You need to work harder. You need to do this. You need to do that. And then you'll be loved. Then you'll be worthy of love. When any of that stuff comes your way, when you're rooted in Scripture and returning to that identity you have in Christ, you'll be able to say, not today. I'm not wasting time. I'm not wasting energy on that. I'm going to go and live out the unique mission that God has given me. I'm going to go out and make a difference in his kingdom. God says over you, this is my son. This is my daughter whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Those are the words that God speaks over us at our baptisms. And the water of baptism is his sign of approval. Those are his words of approval. The waters of baptism are his sign of approval. And actually over here, we have the baptistry filled today with water. It's filled with water from Henry County's finest water department. And we have some bowls over here with water as well. And actually mixed in with this water is some water from the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. Uh, Emily and I had the chance to go there last February. And so we brought some of that back. And there's some of that water in there this morning. And if you're somebody like me who a lot of times struggles with this issue of identity and, and really believing this. You know, sometimes it's one thing to, to read about God's love for you. It's another thing to experience it. And so this morning, when we sing our final song, which is an amazing song by Hillsong, Who You Say I Am, uh, we have these baptismal waters over here. And, and we're going to invite you to come forward and to touch them as a tangible reminder of God's love and God's approval for you. And so if you've been baptized, this is a, is a time when you can remember that you've been baptized, whether you were an infant, whether you were an adult, if it was last year, or if it was 65 years ago. This is a time where you can come and remember the words that God speaks over you and how God truly 
feels about you. So we're going to invite you in just a minute to come. And uh, you can reach in, in the baptistry and touch the water in there. You can touch the water in one of these bowls. We invite you to just take some and just make the sign of the cross on your forehead as a sign of God's love and his grace towards you. And, and maybe this morning you're here and you've never been baptized. And we're glad you're here as well. And I would love to talk with you about that next step of faith, about what it means to be baptized and to help you experience that. But we want to invite you to come forward as well. We want to invite you to come forward and, and to touch these waters and to pray so that you might experience that love and that acceptance that God has of you. Because of Jesus Christ, we can stop living for approval and we can start living from it. So let's ask God that it would be so in each of our lives. God, we, we thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you that in a world where we have to earn, achieve, and strive for everything, God, that, that you just tell us to rest, to cease, to stop, and to just receive your love and your grace. God, your grace that comes to us before we can even speak. Before we can even read, God, you're pouring your love over us. And God, we thank you for that gift. And God, we thank you for the waters of baptism. Waters which cleanse us, which forgive us, which remind us that we are covered in your righteousness through the death and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon us this morning, would come upon this water, God, that you would use this as a sign, a reminder of your love and of your acceptance for us. So God, we thank you for this day. And we ask all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I invite you to stay.